The Glenn Show is brought to you by the Manhattan Institute and by the support of listeners like you. Thank you for all you do. Your contribution allows us to produce The Glenn Show week after week, along with all of the other great content at glennlowry.substack.com. Your contribution also helps to fund grassroots initiatives that empower Black development across the country as we donate 10% of our profits to the Woodson Center. Once again, thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Glenn Lowry. You've tuned in to The Glenn Show. Uh, I'm with Pastor Corey Brooks of the New Beginnings Church in Chicago, and uh he is the CEO of Project Hood, H-O-O-D, Helping Others Obtain Destiny, uh, which is, I gather, an extension of his ministry in Chicago. And uh, we're here to talk about what's going on in the hood, so to speak, <laughs> and how it relates to what's going on in the newspapers and magazines about DEI, race, and uh, inequality in America. So thanks very much, Pastor Brooks, for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on and uh, thank you for allowing me uh, to speak on your platform. It's a, it's a tremendous blessing. Thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's my honor, to be honest with you. I've heard about your work from Robert Woodson and, and from Eli Steele and Shelby Steele. Uh, and uh, just from following what's going on in Chicago day to day, that's my hometown. I haven't lived there since Absolutely. the late 1970s, but that's my hometown. I still care. You know? Absolutely. This is your neighborhood too, right? Woodlawn? Well, I didn't actually live in Woodlawn. I lived in Park Manor when I was growing yeah. up as a kid, but it's not very far. Not at yeah. all far. Yeah, it's all. Park Manor is uh, actually, uh, they this that's the King Drive area now, but they they no longer call it. Uh, this part of Park Manor. So it's, it's still all the same. Yeah. Uh, let me just say, I'm Glenn Lowry. I teach at Brown University. I'm a professor of economics, and I'm also a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And I want you to know that the Manhattan Institute sponsors the Glenn Show. So I was stunned by that piece that you had in Tablet Magazine. Uh, let me just pull up my notes here. America works, DEI doesn't. Uh, dedicated leader of community transformation, Pastor Corey Brooks uh, holds forth. Uh, DEI advocates are exploiting the pain of my community to gaslight their opponents. And this troubled me the most because it hurts and hinders our efforts to truly make lasting progress. That is a quote from your piece. You published the piece in the uh, aftermath of the uh, controversy, the brouhaha over President Claudine Gay of Harvard University being forced out. And uh, I'm just wondering, you know, <laughs> what induced you to want to weigh in on on that one uh, at that particular moment? Well, it was not only that issue, uh, which was had been brought to the forefront and it was on everybody's mind. Everybody was discussing it. It was also um, some Twitter things going back and forth between Elon Musk and uh, Mark Cuban. I don't know about this. Yes. Yeah, so after reading Mark Cuban's views on his affirmative belief in DEI, uh, I decided, you know, I wanted to chime in. And so as a as a uh, after chiming in, um, then that's true. I start. I decided to also uh, talk about uh, the situation at Harvard as well, because it all related. It all tied together for me. Tell me how. 
Well, the fact that, you know, you keep having these individuals who believe that somehow that black folk need their help uh, in order to advance in society uh, and and they keep having these liberal views and they keep putting these ideas and concepts together uh, that I believe are detrimental to everything that we're trying to do as a society and as a, as a culture, um, specifically uh, those are those individuals who find themselves um, at the lower end of the spectrum in society in our community. DI doesn't help them at all, uh, but it does help those individuals who keep uh, putting forth these beliefs and empowering themselves and enriching themselves to promote these type of beliefs. But at the end of the day, it, it does not help, uh, the, especially the type of young men that we're trying to help on the south side of Chicago. You talk about one of them in the article. I believe his name is Jonathan Watkins. Uh, the story is very powerful. He lost his baby girl in a, I gathered what was a drive-by shooting. He was tempted to cope, get revenge and whatnot. He disappeared on you for a while and came back home. Yeah. Talk very powerfully about what really matters to his life and what doesn't. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that somehow people believe that, you know, individuals who find themselves on the fringes of society uh, trying to get out of game like that somehow American values uh, will not help them or that they believe that these individuals don't believe in American values when they do. Uh, lots of times individuals like Jonathan, um, they, they understand that the only way they're going to get out of their situation is not by continuing to blame someone for their situation, but they got to take responsibility and become accountable. And when they start to focus on work, <laughs> they start to focus on themselves and dealing with their inner problems and issues and start to really focus on becoming better family men, they, things start to change for them and they see this. Um, so in Jonathan's case, it was, a, it was a long process and it still is a process, but the good news is he's, he's come a long, long way and he did not do that with the help of DEI. He did not do that with the belief of saying white supremacy is my issue and my problem. He did that with um, an organization that was coming alongside to assist him to understand that, look, you have to be accountable for your actions. You have to start working. You have to start being responsible. You have to learn how to read. You have to take care of your family. And those are the type of things uh, that I believe and that now he believes uh, that helps individuals to get ahead. I'm just looking at my notes here, and I have another quote from the piece that I want to share with the audience. DEI ideology didn't offer Jonathan a better life. It has no ability to help him. It doesn't offer faith. It doesn't offer meaningful work. It doesn't live with us on the South Side of Chicago. It's manipulative rhetoric, a way of exploiting Jonathan's tragedy and the tragedy of thousands of young men like him on behalf of professional class ideologues who seek to use our pain to fuel their rise through American institutions. Their stock and trade is a soul-destroying poison whose moral and real-world effects are as negative for our community as those of any other drug that is sold here. My God. Now, 
I'm not a yeah. pastor, but that sounds like a prophetic voice to me. I got to tell you yeah. that, brother. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you know, uh, I thank God for the gift. And um, I thank God for the opportunity to say it in such a way that people can understand it. You know, the fact that we have so many black liberal elites who are using the suffering and pain of their own people uh, to promote their own agendas and to move themselves ahead in society, it, it is uh, disheartening. Uh, but we see it every single day. And it's amazing that these black elites, these liberals, they go to um, the same people that they claim are hindering us in order to ask them to advance us. And so I wanted to make that known and I wanted to say it in such a way that would be heartfelt and that people would realize that something drastically needs to happen differently than a focus on DEI. Tell me about New Beginnings. So New Beginnings is a place where uh, we're trying to give people a fresh start. You know, we're right in the heart on the south side of Chicago, 66 and King Drive. In 2014, the Chicago Sun-Times wrote that this was the most dangerous block in all of Chicago. And so being a pastor on this block, uh, we decided we wanted to do something about that. So our church, the name itself, is all about helping individuals to get a fresh start, a brand new beginning. And we really focus on individuals who are in the fringes. So we go after the Jonathans of the world. We go after individuals who uh, have been left behind or who find themselves disenfranchised because of their own um, beliefs uh, system. And we, we try to help them to change that belief system, that mindset, to so that they can begin to understand that they can achieve and accomplish anything if they put their heart and their mind, their, their spirit to it, and especially if they have a church that comes alongside in the system. So we uh, we totally try to tear down the mindset that says um, that we can't make it because of the white man. We totally try to get rid of all those type of concepts. And we just really focus on trying to help people to move ahead in life and uh, move their families ahead. So that's what our church is really all about. Now, you're there in Chicago, which just elected an African-American mayor, Brandon Johnson, uh, who is a progressive and supposed to be a part of the solution to the problem. I'm not asking you to do anything you don't want to do in terms of oh, no, political I'll endorsement. <laughs> I'm just wondering what you think. Uh, you know, I think he's doing a horrible job. Uh, it's very unfortunate. Um, but the fact of the matter is that his approval rating is uh, in the 20s, lower 20s, matter of fact. And, you know, he's shown so far that that progressive ideology um, is only going to continue to send uh, Chicago downward. Uh, we're already experiencing lots of issues. Now, uh, the present day issue that we're contending with is uh, the immigration stuff that's going on. And we're spending yeah. millions upon millions of dollars. And his way of handling that uh, is not only um, a problem for me, but it's a problem for most black folk uh, on the Chicago South Side and West Side. And so um, I think, you know, I'm not the only one who 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 believes that he's not doing a good job. The, the community is 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 speaking out every single day. Is there opposition to Chicago's status as a sanctuary city, self-declared status uh, emerging in the black community there? Oh, for sure. You know, if they were to have a vote today, there's no doubt in my mind that 
if, if we were able to vote on do we want to continue Chicago as a sanctuary city, that it that that policy would be overturned uh, and, and it would be led by uh, a lot of black people who are really upset about the fact that our communities close schools and uh, things of that sort are now being used as as homes um, for for immigrants and 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 that's not to say that black people are not compassionate. We are. We concern. We're very concerned about all people, but we're also we also realize when when a community is being totally taken advantage of, and it's something that I've been talking about for years now, and I think people are finally waking up that they can't continue to to give all of their um, uh, focus and all of their attention to one party and expect for them to continue to look out for them. And so we see on the south side of Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, um, people are, are, are finally, I believe, waking up to the fact that uh, what the Democrats are doing in our community is, is totally not acceptable. Let me ask you this. You're a Christian minister. Uh, doesn't the imperative of charity and uh, opening the door to the stranger and whatnot weigh in here to some degree in favor of sanctuary and support for migrants? And how do you square that, you know, theologically? Yeah, so thank you. That's a great question. I wrestle with it all the time. And um, we do have an obligation to help those who are in need. We do have an obligation to to be a blessing to, to all people. Uh, but we also have an obligation to take care of our families and take care of uh, individuals who are who were in this community. And so it becomes very difficult and it becomes very stressful and strenuous to to do both. And I think the reason why people like myself and others are so upset is not because we don't want to help um, migrants. It's not that that's not the case at all. It's because they've already they're putting such a strain on us to be able to to impact the people who are already presently here. And so it's not that we don't want to help. We would love to help. It's just that we, we're being put in a position where it's being basically impossible because there are so many individuals. And then when you add the fact that so much of our taxpayers' funds are going toward these efforts, it's, it's unheard of. For instance, um, in Chicago, um, they just signed a contract of 57, up to $57 million uh, for a restaurant or a catering service to cater meals uh, for the migrants. So, you know, when you have things like that and then you require citizens in Chicago to have to fund it, that becomes really tough. Are the... African-American representatives in the city council and the state legislature in Illinois and in Chicago responsive to the kind of concerns that you're talking about? Do they have a voice in the larger political conversation about, about this issue? Right. There is a big fight going on in City Hall right now uh, being led by uh, Alderman Bill, who was in the Roseland area, the hundreds. And I just watched a clip of him recently where he was saying that um, the migrants coming to Chicago are not going to stop. And then he says, quote, especially when uh, meals are given, uh, free education is given and nine thousand dollar housing vouchers are being given. It's not going to stop. They're going to continue to be pouring in. And then he said, and 
if I were in their position, I would too. And so he says that in order for this to change, that policy has to change. And so there are individuals within city government who are seeing that uh, the, the, the policy just isn't working. Okay, so Brandon Johnson's in trouble uh, by your calculation. Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think he's in trouble. I think that um, unless he can do something uh, drastic to turn around, that uh, there will be a lot of individuals who will be running for uh, his seat in the next go around. I think the fact that um, the unions, uh, the education, the school system uh, supports him overwhelmingly is his only uh, saving grace. But from a city perspective, it, 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 didn't, it doesn't look good at all. Yeah, he has a background as a uh, organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, which must have many middle-class African-American members uh, in its uh, body. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by this tension within the Black community of, of views about these uh, controversial issues. And, and I'm, I'm wondering uh, how that gets sorted, how that gets sorted out. For example, within the ministerial community of pastors with congregations around the city, do you find that you have a lot of support for your way of looking at things? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard for the pastors to not think any differently on this issue when their congregants are saying, hey, we need you to speak out. We need you to say something. And I, I tell you, for the first time in a long time in Chicago, um, I really feel like this tension is good because it's finally uh, allowing uh, people from our community to look at the system and say, hey, this system isn't being fair to us. And so we need to be more vocal. We need to say something. And we just can't keep giving allegiance to individuals who constantly keep taking advantage of our vote and keep taking advantage of our community. So uh, the tension that we're experiencing in Chicago, uh, from my point of view, is a good thing because it's going to cause individuals to finally become more aware and more involved in, in changing things. And I think that's a great, I think that's a great thing. What about the cops? Well, you know, you speak attention, so <laughs> Chicago is a great place to have that tension. You know, we, we, we're working hard on our end to make sure that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative, so I believe in having strong police departments. I would not want to live in a community on the south side or west side or anywhere else, up north, anywhere, without the presence of a strong police department. However, in, with that being said, in Chicago, our police department is very hindered. Uh, they're very handicapped in the work that they can do because everything that they do, it's being looked at, it's being scrutinized to the highest degree. And a lot of individuals have basically taken a step backwards. And because of that, uh, we, we see crime, we see um, young people downtown acting in ways that we would never see before. Just on a couple of days ago, uh, coming out of a school, downtown. A young man was shot and killed in broad daylight. So that's the type of stuff we're seeing because we're not allowing, I believe, in my opinion, um, the police to do the police work that needs to be done in the city of Chicago. 
Wow. Laquan McDonald. Yeah. I mean, what, a young man who was brutalized, a police officer, I don't remember his name, ended up going to prison about it. And that was supposed to be symptomatic of a generic problem within the Chicago Police Department. Black Lives Matter. I, I don't suppose they come to your church for services on Sunday. <laughs> no, Black Lives Matter uh, does not come to my church. And, and uh, you know, they're, they, they, they would be welcome, but their points of views would not be welcome. Uh, you know, a lot of times with DEI, Black Lives Matter, all of these things, this woke mindset, all of these things are being promoted and pushed and then this agenda that's being pushed uh, by liberals and elites. But at the end of the day, they're not helping our community. You know, Black Lives Matter received millions of dollars. And even when they were receiving those millions of dollars, I said at the very beginning, I wrote an article about it, that, you know, that was not a good thing to do. And now we're finding out how money was being misused. And we're finding out that, um, Grassroots organizations did not get help, even though they were tied to Black Lives Matter. And it was all a push uh, of a certain agenda, a certain ideology, a certain mindset. Uh, and it's the same type of thing that we're seeing with DEI and this whole woke concept. And that's that's what we're experiencing uh, in urban areas all across America. And we have to be very careful. And I think it's important that voices like yours and voices like Eli Stills and Shelby Steele and Dr. Woodson, uh, we continue to give those voices platforms so that our people can understand that there are alternative thoughts and that there are people out there who think totally different than what's being uh, the, the agenda that's being pushed. Have you gotten much support from the business community in Chicago for the work that you're trying to do? I, I do get some help. Um, you know, Chicago is a very liberal city. So to be a conservative and then to be a black conservative on the south side of Chicago and to be a preacher, you know, you're swimming upstream. And so uh, we do have some businesses, though, who have been a tremendous blessing to us. Uh, we have quite a few businessmen who are on our um, advisory board who have come alongside to assist us and uh, educate us on the process of being a great uh, non-for-profit organization. So on one hand, we've been very blessed, but on the other hand, uh, there's so many, so much opportunity out there for individuals to come alongside who have not done that as yet. Most of our support, uh, I tell people, we gained over uh, 20,000 new supporters, 20,000 new donors in one year. And those donors all were from uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas, California, Arizona, those communities. 20,000? Yeah, 20,000 new donors. And uh, and they've helped us to to do what we're doing now, and that's to build a 90,000 square foot center, $38 million. We've raised 31 million of those dollars. We're trying to do it debt-free. And uh, that center is going to be a fantastic place where we're going to be helping more people to understand American values and conservative values and uh, help them to transform and change their lives. I'm very glad to hear it. They call you the rooftop pastor. <laughs> tell, tell my audience what's that about. I love the story. Yeah, so they call me the rooftop pastor because there was a, a motel across the street from our church that was uh, drug infested, prostitution, a lot of um, 
stuff was going on that we needed to get rid of and they wouldn't sell it to us. We didn't, they, we tried everything. So finally I felt led to go on top of the roof and refuse to come down until I had enough money to, money to raise, to, to raise, to pay, to buy it and tear it down so we could start building a community center. So in 2011, going into 2012, I was on the roof of that motel for 94 days and we finally raised enough money uh, to purchase it and tear it down. Then 10 years later, we had the, the property, the building was gone and we had this idea and this vision about building a fantastic uh, economic and leadership center where we could help transform lives by teaching trades, teaching financial literacy, uh, giving all the things that our community needs to transform it, but we didn't have any money to build it. So we put eight train containers together and I decided to do it again. Ten years later on the 10th year anniversary, I went up on the roof again and I ended up staying this time instead of 94 days. I ended up staying for 343 days, um, but it was a blessing. We raised over $25 million. And again, like I said, we got over 20,000 new donors. Uh, Fox gave me an opportunity to do a spot called Rooftop Revelations. And it was a, a tremendous blessing. You're a conservative. You are a self-declared conservative. You get support from people in North Carolina and South Carolina, and I'm, I'll bet they're conservatives too. You just mentioned Fox and so on. So, I, I mean, I have to ask you how you respond to the criticism I could predict, which would be <laughs> that they're using you. Yeah. Conservatism really does not have any answers for the Black community. It's all about money and property and capitalism and whatnot. And uh, you, you're, you're allowing yourself to be an instrument of uh, political forces like the Trump campaign that are deleterious to the interests of uh, Black people properly understood. Right. And I, my answer to that is that they, that's so, that would be so far from the truth. One, uh, I've been a conservative since I was 19 years old when I took my first political science class at Ball State University, uh, political science one-on-one. I realized uh, that first week of school, man, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not liberal. I thought I was a Democrat. That's what I was always taught. And I realized then that, hey, I'm a conservative. And since that day, I've been promoting those type of values. And I believe those values work, whether you're black or white, whether you're rich or poor, that the focus on capitalism, free markets, the focus on family, uh, there, there are certain principles on um, the focus on education, um, the focus on taking responsibility for your life. Uh, I believe those principles work and I've seen those principles not only work for me, but I see them working for individuals who are tied to um, the things that we're attempting to do. And, you know, I also remind people, most black people, uh, that I know uh, and have known uh, have been, are conservative and come from conservative backgrounds. Um, it's only um, the only difference is that even though we have conservative leanings and conservative points of view, uh, they tend to vote for the Democratic Party. I, I believe that is totally starting to change as uh, the party of the Democrats becomes more and more liberal and more and more progressive. And I, I believe black people are starting to see that those values don't line up with the values that we've been taught from our ancestors over the years. And so that's my answer to that. So I, I, I believe I'm closer to uh, what my granddaddy and 
grandmama uh, used to believe uh, than what the, these liberal teachings are. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about how the academics, we academics talk about these issues, about poverty in Black uh, neighborhoods and violence and about the, the family out of wedlock births and, uh, yeah, about structural racism and all that, but the, it's all kind of abstract. I mean, let, let me be, let me be specific. So I don't know, something like seven in 10 babies born to a black woman in America are born to a woman without a husband. And in the city of Chicago, I'm sure that number's got to be higher than yeah. that. How do you process that? What, what, is, is that a spiritual, problem? Uh, is it a result of bad policy? What can be done at the level of individuals making decisions about how they live their lives to, to turn that around? It seems almost overwhelming to me sometimes when I think about it. Yeah. At the, you know, first from spiritually, you know, being a pastor, I, I think everything first goes back to that, that it is a spiritual problem that, that we've gotten so far away from God and we've gotten so far away from godly principles. And we continue to move further and further away that it is causing issues. Not And these issues are not just happening for black people now. You know, the issue that you just spoke of, um, you know, single parenthood is, is, is growing rapidly amongst all races. And so that's an issue that we have to contend with. And it's a spiritual issue. Um, so we have to start there. But I also believe, too, that there are not just spiritual issues, but policies that come alongside at times to enhance and further uh, people's morality to do wrong. And so there are some policies that we have to contend with in our neighborhood um, that are detrimental to um, people coming out of the lifestyle of poverty and, 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 and families being together. So there are certain values that we have to keep pushing. But at the end of the day, uh, it, is, it is a spiritual issue. Tell me about Project Hood, helping others obtain destiny. I uh, assume that's an extension of your ministry. Yes. So we realized that we had all these problems and we could either do like some say, you know, the white man is causing all of our issues and white supremacy is the reason why the crime rate the way it is and people are killing each other and things are bad and people aren't being educated. Or we could say, listen, Let's roll up our sleeves, let's put in the work, and let's fix these problems ourselves and stop waiting on Superman to come in to save the day because he's not coming. And so we decided to come up with an organization um, that is an outreach extension of our church called Project Hood. Hood stands for Helping Others Obtain Destiny. And we said, what are the five issues um, that we believe um, that are, are hindering people from moving out of poverty and keeping families broken? And so we said, we're going to focus on education, making sure that we help people get educated. So we have programs centered around financial literacy. We have programs centered around the trade. We have mentoring and tutoring. We also said economics. So we do, we work hard to make sure um, that uh, we teach entrepreneurship. We, we have a class getting ready to come up in two weeks uh, for our sixth and eighth graders that is totally focused on entrepreneurship. And we realized that I think it's upward of 95% of black companies don't hire anybody in Chicago. So now 
we're not only teaching entrepreneurship, we're talking, we're teaching building capacity because we need to teach them how to build capacity. And so education, economics, social ills with all the things that we see uh, with the gangs and with the family structures, we work on that. Economic education, social ills, spiritual ills, we try to make sure that we push people back toward God and then health and wellness. And so we really try to focus on those five things and uh, to give people an opportunity to transform their lives. So we have classes uh, with construction. We teach the trades. Just recently, uh, we had a cohort uh, where we're signing up people to take uh, carpentry and construction. We only had 30 spots, uh, but we had 350 people, 356 people to be exact, to apply for those 30 spots. Wow. We're in, that's why we're building a center so we can facilitate having more students to be able to teach. So those are the type of things that we're really focused on. And it's all focused around transformation. And it's all around this idea of turning this block that was called O-Block because it was named after a young man named O.D. Perry who was shot and killed. The gangs kept the O in his name. It's all about transforming that O-Block, O.D. Perry to opportunity block. And that's the reason why we uh, came up with Project Hood. And that's the reason why we're building this center. And that's the reason why we're working hard uh, to transform this neighborhood. Yeah. Speaking of opportunity, uh, I just want to quote one last thing from your your piece in Tablet Magazine. Okay. Uh, that's why the recent decision of Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson to eliminate some of Chicago's top schools in the name of equity was so devastating to our communities. What equity means for these DEI folks is achieving parity with blacks on the bottom instead of strengthening our ability to lift ourselves up. The framework of negative achievement that DEI offers is truly insulting. After 60 years of failing to end intergenerational poverty, intergenerational violence, and intergenerational illiteracy in my community, the DEI folks have decided to lower America down to our level right at the moment when we're trying to get out of it. Mm. And I have to tell you, when I read that, I almost jumped out of my chair. <laughs> because that is... I'm that is articles. <laughs> oh, I can't take credit for that. I cannot. I cannot. Now, I assume, I'm not privy to what uh, Mayor Johnson was thinking, but I assume it's that the is an exam to get into the school and not enough Blacks are passing the exam to get into the school. So I, I grant you that that's an issue. That's a problem that should concern us. Yes. But the solution to that problem is not to get rid of a school with exams. The solution to that problem is to minister to our people so that they are raised to the level of being able to meet that standard, it yeah. seems to me. And to not do that is to sell us short. That's what I've been saying for years. But to hear you say it warmed my heart. Well, <laughs> well I, I got to be honest. I learned it from you. So I'll be I'll be a look between uh, you, you and Shelby Steele and uh, Dr. Woodson. Uh, I, I've got I've been able to uh, create a philosophy and ideology that I think uh, fits for where I am and what we're trying to do. But I would I would be remiss if I didn't let people know that I, I've learned a great deal from you. And I really appreciate it. And especially as it relates to, to education and things like that, because I think you and I, we have a lot of the same views. And, and you're exactly right. That, you know, the, the attempt to keep dumbing down standards uh, so that we can somehow that so that people somehow think that we need them to achieve and to accomplish, I think that is more of a problem than anything else. I think we got to constantly keep drilling into our, our young people 
This is the standard. We got to get there. We got to give them the tools necessary. We got to give them everything that they need to achieve. But at no time do we need anyone to lower any standards for us so that we can somehow be accepted. Are there educators in Chicago, black, white, or otherwise, who uh, have a similar philosophy, say, in the charter school sector or whatever that you are aware of that you admire? You know, there, there, there are a large group of um, people who are starting to buy into the concept of um, charter schools, especially, or school choice. You know, there's a big fight in Chicago, big fight in Illinois, where they just uh, canceled funding uh, for um, scholarships. And, I, and it's amazing that these same liberal black brothers and sisters got rid of the scholarship that helped fund impoverished students to be able to go to the schools of their choice. But at the same time, their children get to go to these private schools and they get to go to places that other impoverished kids don't get the opportunity to go to. But so with that being said, there there are people who are becoming aware of this and, and fed up with it and, and they're deciding that, hey, we need to do something about this. And so um, the tension that you talked about earlier is only creating an environment where people are really starting to look at these issues and not just take them for granted. A thought occurs to me as, as we close here, which is the class differences of interest within the Black community are highlighted by your work and, and, your, and your witness. Uh, the people who have the megaphones, uh, who write the op-eds, um, and uh, who man the upper reaches of the Democratic Party on behalf of Black folks, yeah, don't have the same interests as people walking on the block worried about getting carjacked or worse, uh, trying to get the kids educated, uh, trying to find some decent place to work and, and to live. And uh, that's just a very powerful theme. I, I, I wonder what you think about that. You know, it, it's, it's a sad commentary that a lot of these individuals who say that they're speaking on the behalf of black people do very little to assist and aid black people who are impoverished to get to the next level in their lives. I tell, I tell them all the time, it's amazing that these same individuals who say they speak for us, we never see them. We never see them doing any work. We never see them rolling up their sleeves, but we see them with the megaphones. We see them writing the op-eds. We see them saying all the stuff, but their actions and their words are so far apart. And People realize it. People are not ignorant. People are starting to see uh, the hypocrisy in, in the things that are being said compared to the things that are being done. Uh, but I choose to, instead of focus on them and uh, focus on the, what's going on in our community, continue to roll up our sleeves and continue to make as much noise as I can and with as many good actions as I can. And, and let the changed lives uh, be the testimony uh, for what really works. Sounds good to me. God bless you. God bless you, too. My Thank guest you. has been, you're welcome. You're welcome, Pastor Brooks. Pastor Corey Brooks, the rooftop pastor, New Beginnings Church. He's the founder and the pastor of the church, Project Hood, helping others obtain destiny building a community center right across the street from the church. He's raised scores of millions of dollars to do it. He's going to change a lot of lives. Uh, and I really appreciate you giving me your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, when we get the center up, you got to come and do your show from the center at least one time. 
Oh, you, you got it. That's a bet. <laughs> I'm going to come on home to Chicago uh, and do my show from New Beginnings. I'm, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Thank you.